0: that's how you do it
1: all right welcome back to tundra talk everybody i'm tyler friel um late and unprepared as usual, so i'm dependent late and unprepared as usual so i'm dependent on my guest uh to kind of carry this episode and happy to have Adam Grinda on the line here we've been talking about doing a podcast for quite a while Um, I don't know how long but probably about since I started huh?
0: probably I don't know at least six months I'm a pretty active listener so I do a lot of of podcasts and I think I got yours pretty much all covered for the most part and uh, yeah I've been trying to set this up for a while but Hunting season's finally starting to wind down, so we get a chance to.
1: Yeah, no kidding, starting to wind down. It's pretty much wound down up here, but I did see nailed a it looked like a huge bull caribou the other day. That was the other day, wasn't it? Yeah, that
0: was pretty recently. That was uh, probably my last, yeah, probably my last tag. I don't know. I'm always kind of jonesing looking for one more opportunity, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's going to be that time of year, you know, where it's just kind of nothing really to do. I might go shoot some ducks this weekend or something, but I don't know. Yeah, it's not as fun as big game I guess.
1: Yeah, and now uh, I guess for, for folks who don't know, um, Adam, you live out in the thriving metropolis of King Salmon, Alaska, out on the basically the start of the peninsula. <laughs> um, and I've been there. I've only been there one time, so I don't know all that much about it, but there ain't really a heck of a lot to do out there but shoot stuff so and fly and fly airplanes which is good for you you uh i remember i first started talking to you before you came up here i think it was wasn't it
0: yeah i think it was on wolf trap and i i was born and raised in north idaho and i was trying to set some some wolf snares and i think you were pretty active trapping back then maybe before you had a whole pile of kids and we were just talking about what size cable and stuff i think to use and uh i think that's kind of how we started talking in the first place on facebook there one of the one of the good things of social media that's come through my life i would say
1: oh yeah no it's it's funny for all for all the bs that's out there i uh they you know, have, have made a lot of, a lot of good friends, even, you know, I, I mean, that I consider friends that people that I haven't even ever met in person, which is you and me, but like we were talking before I turn the, hit the record button, you know, yeah, you, you'll have to, you'll, you'll make it up to Fairbanks one of these days and, or I'll make it down to King Salmon, who knows, maybe sooner than later. I think the, I think Brown Bear season's spring, this coming spring, right, is open down there?
0: Yeah, it's next, yeah, next, spring is uh, our next bear
1: season we have yeah are you coming down for that uh i wasn't planning on it i did run into my buddy steve hollenbeck in the in costco yesterday actually and he was asking me what i had planned if i had plans to what my brown bear grizzly bear plans were next spring um so sounded like the wheels were turning with him he was wanting to get back down there and i've just aside for me i've just been on the have the default default grizzlies on the river with my bow which is just fine but uh yeah anyway i guess uh you there was a couple things i wanted to hit with you you're a a pilot of many airplanes um that's kind of what brought you up here um is you, you got a job flying with the park service out of king salmon which really is probably from what i gather a pretty pretty awesome gig for you huh
0: yeah it's uh it's my dream job, as you touched on earlier, King Salmon. There's not a lot to do besides kill and fly airplanes. And as luck would have it, that's my only two things I'm good at. <laughs> so it works out pretty works out pretty good. But, um, yeah, I knew the job. It's a small industry of flying up here, and I started flying. Started a fishing guide for all the sport fishing lodges kind of all over Alaska, but a lot in Bristol Bay southwest part of the state and then i kind of transitioned into being a pilot and a fishing guide and then eventually I was just a pilot right out of the guiding aspect and right on the street was the guy that i replaced with leaving. and so i just called him up and i said hey i want your job and i kind of talked to him about the about the job and how how he loved it what he did in the winter to stay busy how much he flew what kind of what kind of fine he did and uh the time i was seasonal up here working flying beavers on floats in the summer and then i'd go to i don't know just kind of go on a hunt and spree for three four months in the fall and then uh my wife and i go to north dakota i was working as a supervisor in the oil field there and uh and then i got the job in king salmon and uh i think we've been up here pushing almost three years
1: yeah it, yeah it sure sure has gone pretty quick um what when you said you you got you got into flying when you were doing fishing guiding stuff kind of concurrent what made you what made you want i mean it's it's kinda i don't know a little bit rhetorical because everybody wants to fly i mean even guys that don't but <laughs> what was it that kind of yeah. spurred you on and got you got you really got you into bush flying um I got a
0: picture when I was seventeen my first year I was seventeen I worked on a newshigak at a place called Jake's new salmon camp. And uh, I'm actually friends with the new owner. Now he's an outfitter from Wyoming. And uh, I was, I have a picture of me loading bags in a pair of hip boots and handing them to the guy who flew. I think it was a otter. He was a turban otter on amphib, maybe. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, I had a Coast Guard six-pack license. And then the next summer, I went over to work on the Togiak River and I had to kind of jump over to a different lodge they needed someone to help out for a few weeks and they came not pick me up in a beaver and I sat right seat in the beaver and I was just done for man just kind yeah. of got his hooks <laughs> in me and I said I mean anyone who's rode in a beaver knows they're like the iconic most amazing airplane of Alaska and uh yeah I guess I was just kind of doomed from that day on and so I went back to Idaho and told my dad and I got set up for an introductory flight for a hundred bucks or wherever you go and fly a little 172 Cessna. And I thought I was pretty good at it and had a good hand-eye coordination. And nine months later, I was done with all my ratings and a flight instructor. And then I was trying to find someone to pick me up so I could actually build some time and learn some skills because you don't yeah. know anything at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's that was I, the heart. Yeah, that's what I gather, man, is it, it at least, you know, not having done it. It seems like, you know, you go through all the stuff, get your suit, you get your pilot's license, it would be a pretty scary feeling, like once you're finally turned loose, you know, I would feel like I knew absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a license to learn, you know, you, grad, you can graduate a pilot's license in 40 hours, sometimes a little less, and I think I had around 50 or whatever with the float rating and a few other things, but you really don't know much at all, and you kind of have to go out there and learn to not kill yourself and Alaska can be a real a real steep learning curve you could say um, yeah. with crashes and bending metal gets pretty expensive and every year there's guys that crash and stuff and there's all kinds of broken cubs and things up here but it's just it's part of the game you know but eventually you learn enough skills where you're not breaking as much and you go out flying you come back and nothing's broken and you're like sweet Actually, just use the airplane again tomorrow. That's nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Like, there's there's a few trips, places I've taken, taking a four wheeler that I'm like, if I can get in and out of there without breaking anything, it's a win. <laughs> you know? I know.
0: Despite even if you kill anything, you know. Oh yeah, it
1: makes yeah. It nice. Yeah. It's, oh, I don't have to have to repair anything when it gets back. But yeah, what would you? I mean, what would you say? Like, is the if you were telling like some some new hotshot pilot just got his just got turned loose like what would you tell him i mean i've it seems like the impression i get is just take everything in baby steps you know you see guy you know unfortunately there's some guys with pretty low hours that seem to go you know anytime you get guys to do that and, and go out and do try to do crazy stuff you know or guys get their first super cub and try to do crazy stuff or try to do super cub stuff right away it doesn't end well sometimes
0: yeah, I I think YouTube is probably the worst culprit for a young pilot, especially a guy that gets his license and, you know, he learns in a little Cessna and then he goes and he finances a cub and he goes up, you know, somewhere in the valley or out of Fairbanks and tries to do all the stuff. The guy with 5,000 hours does on YouTube with a super light cub, the title modified, and he just, you're asking for trouble there. Um I would just, like we used to, just take it in baby steps, get with the guys that have been there and done it. A lot of the guys that have been there and done it, like you talk about, I'm, you don't know them from social media. They're the, they're the old school real deal guys, you know. I used yep. to, the guy, the guy who taught me to fly a beaver, I remember going into his office at the lodge after I'd been there for a while, and his, his screen cover, his screen savers on his computer was just one wreck after another
1: yeah <laughs> and uh
0: his advice, his advice he's like 95 now and he says you just got to live through the crashes you know and it's just going through it be like oh well that that plane sunk in a frozen lake and that one lost the fuel pump when we put it down in the tundra and floats and that one caught on fire i mean just crazy stories of flying out of the ice pack and everything and you want to find a guy like that and just be a sponge and just soak up all the knowledge you can and um just play safe. Don't push the weather. The weather gets a lot of guys in trouble up here. And um, if I'm getting scared now, I'm doing something really wrong in my my flying. So yeah, eventually um, you you've been there and you you know how far you can push the limits, and eventually you say it's not worth it. And you can always always usually turn around.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. That's. <clears throat> That's pretty nuts, a lot of the old timers you know like you, like you mentioned they all it's like survive. you gotta survive all the crashes i mean I know guys that I've seen buckshot like buckshot dings in a prop you know that didn't that nobody died you know from from shooting wolves um you know, I've seen you know, guys talk about all sorts of problems going, you know, oil leaks, smoking out the cockpit, and having to, you know, engine season up and having to put it down in the winter, and then having a spare engine flown out there and replace it and fire it up and take it back, you know. It just. Yeah, uh,
0: it's crazy some of the stuff you hear. Some of the old timer pictures, you know, I'm sure you've seen plenty where you got like a whole bunk of lumber strapped onto a tub, and like, how's that thing even going to get off the
2: ground?
1: Oh yeah, you know? yeah. It's uh, crazy. Which, which, speaking of, did you see that picture floating around the internet uh, not very long ago? The beaver with two four wheelers strapped on the floats. So is that? I was going to ask you if that was a real picture.
0: <laughs> so no, it's, it's a real picture. The pilot of that airplane is one of my men. One of the only guys, Ken Sperry, who ever really helped me out on getting my foot in the door of flying. And that was one thing I was going to say is you come out with the license, you know, and you don't have a job to go build time, but you need the time to get on insurance to go get a job. So you're kind of at a catch 22, but yeah. for any new pilot, for any new pilot listening right now, it's never, it's never been a better time to get into the industry right now. If you can have 500 hours and float rating, you can get on with an air taxi in Alaska for the summer and start building up some time. But Ken Stickler helped me get my foot in the door, um, in a place up to Queen Jack, where I started to last the last rainbow. I was flying boats there for a while. And, uh, he had one four on the side of that beaver. Someone took that and photoshopped the other beaver or the other four onto under the beaver. And then, and then it just went viral. And you just like everything yeah. that people that, you know, have ever even seen a float plane, um, they say, look, these are straps to pontoons, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. And,
0: uh, yeah
1: yeah it's it's
0: pretty it, funny
2: to see
1: that yeah it's funny i uh well i mean just the stuff that floats around the internet like that like it's still even to this day after i don't know how many years the, the pictures of a, a grizzly that my buddies guided on a fognac island is still popping up in like you know as some like killer russian bear or whatever it was the latest iteration of the story but yeah that that reminds me we oh, did oh yeah
0: I, i've seen that one.
1: Yeah, we did. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it. I'm scrolling through, and I was like, "Oh, that looks a lot like a Fognac." And then I like, you know, scroll hit the next one. I was like, "Oh, I know that guy." And it was actually my buddy Frank that Frank Schultz that took the picture. So that was pretty funny. The doctor, but, right? Yep, the doctor. But uh,
0: yeah, I want to meet that dude someday. He's hilarious on the podcast.
1: Oh, you need to, man. He's he's good shit. <laughs> we uh, actually yeah. we've been we. I hadn't seen a heck of a lot of them lately. We uh, last time I seen him, we made like eighty pounds of sausage, and after he collected his share, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> but uh,
0: <laughs> nice, but yeah, I no, need to get with you on that. I've never done, this, but uh, I want to. We got a lot of game. I want to start doing my own sausage and stuff here with a big smoker or something.
1: Oh yeah, if uh, you know whether you build a smoker or whatever, I, I was lazy, so I just didn't till i got this pellet grill that also doubles as a smoker i didn't uh i uh just didn't really do much or any of it so um all i all i use is i have one of the the older cabela's commercial grinders with it's like a three-quarter horse with uh like sausage stuffer kit that comes with it and uh I mean, I just use the sausage kits, and you could get pretty. You can buy your own casings and seasonings or whatever, but the kits are super easy. And um, so far, the stuff's turning out real good. I mean, I'm I definitely not going to pay anybody to make my sausage for me anymore.
2: Yeah,
0: I'll probably just do that. And I had a buddy that last winter he kind of overhauled a couple, uh, and there were 500 gallon fuel tanks, and the sandblasted and cut them out and turned them into smokers and he actually just moved back to Idaho from up here so he left me one of those to just have and share it with a neighbor so that would be really good for hanging sausage in and
1: oh, heck smoking it yeah. there heck yeah man that would be awesome yeah. It uh and yeah speaking I was that's one thing I was going to say too is out there, out there in King Salmon what's, what's a pound of ground beef cost out there if you even know
0: I don't know man that's a good question I think I looked at ribeye six months ago, it's thirty bucks or something for a pound per steak. But we uh we just eat so much wild game. My wife and I took in this past year we took in five foster kids. was a pretty yeah. big dynamic change to life. And so we we got, I think a moose and a half, four caribou, two hundred or two hundred and fifty pounds of salmon. And we'll probably go through most of that. We got four or five freezers
2: stuff yeah
0: and then i got a buddy of mine just uh just sent me i think it's in the mail right now a hundred or maybe a little bit more than 100 pounds of uh deer meat coming from kodiak so oh nice we're gonna be pretty flush but
1: uh yeah yeah
0: we eat a lot of it and they don't buy ground beef i'm not i'm not the kind of guy i haven't bought beef in years i like i would much rather have a cow steak than a wild game steak just to be honest but yeah.
1: there is uh, there is I, something nice I can't about, afford it yeah there is something nice about it or just a nice prime beef steak but uh yeah I mean that's part of the deal out there you know out that far the stuff is expensive but you're you're pretty well set up for it I mean <laughs> you know I I can't think of a lot of better places for a guy like you or me to be is that, than out there with you know with your own cub to fly around and it's you know people like, sometimes get the impression that that it makes everything easy and that's definitely not the case from what I've seen. You guys, I mean, you guys have killed some tremendous moose and caribou and brown bears and everything, but it looks like you put you put a significant amount of effort into it.
0: Yeah, I, I love when people they give me the oh it must be nice kind of thing because backstory. I I worked in North Dakota. I saved a little money um sold nice diesel pickup we had i have two junker cars that are paid for and i i financed my life away to buy a experimental super cub and for anyone who doesn't know it's a decent super cub's a hundred or more than a hundred grand and uh it's just crazy you know maybe i should have been responsible and bought a house house before that but (laughs) my wife and i sat down and wrote our, our plan five years ago We got married and just both agreed well we moved to alaska you can't fly a house you might as well buy a cup
2: you yes. know whole rent,
0: whole and yeah. uh it's uh flying the airplane makes it awesome and i think alaska is two things everyone thinks it's just such a game rich place and as you know there's complete dead zones for hundreds miles and then you get the pockets where it's just awesome and yeah. uh having the cup yeah. moving up here what is there, like three or four roads? I knew that access was the big thing and me already having the skills as a pilot, I knew I wanted a Super Cub and I'd watched all the Super Cub videos like everyone else does and flown around here commercially at other people's airplanes saying, man, I could just land there if I had a Cub or man, I could go land over there and hunt moose in that place. It looks really good only if I had a Cub. And so I needed an airplane to get to the access and if you can access a place that's good and you can be there long enough to get a good weather window usually that's what makes us successful but with all that being said having an airplane really really sucks because (laughs) there's so much overhead and when you i've listened to stories from you and we've talked when you charter in you you may leave a bag or something at the strip and then you're gone i'm sitting there and i have to worry for the whole time and i have to call twice a day to get weather and look at the clouds and see what's going to happen and put all this time investment and wing covers and bare fence into my airplane and try and find some alders to tie it down into or smash duck bills into the ground just so I can maybe feel decent about leaving it for a day or two. Yeah. And uh, even then it could blow away and you're calling a helicopter because now you're right out, as toast and insurance oh, yeah. is buy it.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people up here, but in general it's, it may not, it's probably not common knowledge. I mean, it's not as simple as just, Alright, up oh, park the plane here and walk away. I mean, even tied down, you get the wrong wind, it can flip that thing upside down right there. Like they don't weigh a lot and they're made they're made to they're made to have a lot of lift at low speed, so I mean it doesn't take much wind to throw on and animals, I mean probably every every old timer pilot's got got a story of a bear getting into his plane or someone he knows.
0: You know, and it's Oh yeah, <laughs> You've seen those pictures of like the bear that ripped that cub up down the peninsula here, and they duct taped it up and everything. That made its rounds
2: for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I mean, I know a guy that had his had his cub tie. Well, luckily they just—I don't think they tore much of the fabric up, but a sow and cubs got in and chewed up his tires, and he'd even had a bear fence up. But uh, yeah, it's—I tell you know—I tell people too, you know, being on the being on the hire-a-charter side, there's something to be said, you know, You you, you know if you, if the flying life isn't your life, you know, there's something to be said for just paying a guy to fly you in there and, and forget about it because, you know, it's it, it comes with a whole different set of responsibilities and things you got to worry about.
0: Yeah, and I think one of your most recent podcasts, I think Nick was talking about maybe a charter they did, and some of the rates are just astronomical. And I've seen, I've seen do it yourself fly out drop hunts for moose six to, I think the highest is I was 8,500 bucks for a yeah. moose. And, you know, it's either, Hey, if you want to be successful, I feel like to get into a good spot with good genetics and big bulls, you're either going to do what I do. It's probably, I don't even want to figure out what it is. But it's probably way more than those guys are spending. Yeah. But I just like the ability. I like the ability to be self-sufficient and, you know, if, if I wanna move and I haven't seen game for three or four days and I wanna to move to a different place that so I scouted twenty miles away, I don't have to pay for an air charter or if the weather's decent I wanna jump over somewhere else that day I can do it. Yeah. So I love the idea of being self sufficient, but like you said, there's something to be said about just paying a guy it's a flat rate and
2: you're done. And you yeah. go hunt. Yeah.
1: Well and I think I mean a guy like you and all you know, the the like plane owning pilots I know, it's like it's It's almost a. You could consider it a lifestyle. Like that's got to be the lifestyle for you. You know, you got to be okay with. You know, unless you have, unless you're rolling the dough, with which most guys aren't. You know, drive driving a. You're not driving brand new vehicles. You know, a lot of money goes into maintenance and and fixing broken stuff. You know, it just. It's just a. Uh, that's the best way I could describe it. It's like a lifestyle, like a. You know. A lifestyle of being a pilot and a plane owner, if that makes sense, would you? Would you just, say that's kind of accurate?
0: It's just a money pit, man. I was just <laughs> in Napa to buy, buy, parts, buy parts today, and mine's experimental. But the joke of acronym for Napa is the National Air Motor Parts Association, where everyone goes to buy cub parts <laughs>
2: for
0: you know exhaust studs or washers. And yeah. uh, I i guess I'd attribute a have never been a farmer, but it seems like farmers are, always have something to do and that's how I feel like the thing is I got maintenance I need to do this weekend and duct tape I need to rip off and fabric patches. And yeah, I, I don't even have a pickup. I got a Dodge Durango and like a 96 Chevy Lumina. Nice. You know,
1: so <laughs> I don't even, have, I don't
0: even have a, I don't even have a junk or truck. That's yeah. how, that's how I prioritize life, but I don't need a truck in King Salmon. I got buddies with trucks if I need it. And, yeah. uh, I, I owned half of a Junker jet boat, and that was only because that was kind of a trade deal. A buddy of mine wanted to go out and do a caribou, and we just traded, you know, hey, how about you buy me in on your boat, and uh, just kind of call it a walk or whatever. So we uh, we worked on an arrangement like that. But just like you, you got a snow machine, a four-wheeler, a boat, maybe a couple boats. You just got to kind of pick and choose what toys you want to play with, and then friends friend! With
2: the guys you got
1: toys you don't have yeah yeah totally <laughs> that's a very important part of it and uh making you know making buddies with guys that are uh, are stronger in areas you're weak i uh you know like and like you said you know you, you kind of pick and choose your you pick and choose your toys up here because you really i mean you, I wouldn't say you need to have some of the stuff but it can help dramatically and whether it's you know a four wheeler can help you out you know, it, it gives you advantages in some spots over airplanes and disadvantages. You know, a boat is one thing where you know some areas it's great, some areas it's better to have an airplane. It's all it all ends up being a wash. It just depends on you know what you want to prioritize. Really, I would think.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there's just terrain so diverse up here that you just. For me, I'm picking spots that are really good for wheel cubs. That are technical and short and nasty to get into, and there's no float plane access here. You know yeah. where you're going to go somewhere that it's going to
1: be—it's going be, to be one of
0: those places that I look at on the map and say, "There's no way I'm even taking a cub up that canyon." That's where you're going to
1: want to go. Forward, you know? Yep. Yeah. Totally. It's. uh, so, Yeah, and I was—I think I—I I can't remember if I was going to bring it up earlier. Are you? Can you talk about what just happened the other day? Are you okay to talk about that, or you got to file paperwork still? Uh, yeah.
2: No,
0: I've been I've been doing that stuff today. Um, so I was on a we – we fly Cubs for work, and I do a lot of surveying. And a Cubs is a great thing to have as a hunter, but for work, they really don't make a lot of sense just because they're slow and they can't haul a bunch. And uh, flying a 185 or something faster, they can actually haul stuff for- an airplane makes a lot more sense but we do we do a lot of surveys in cubs and we do moose population counts south Peninsula yeah I was flying a moose survey I don't know 40 miles south of King Salmon or so and we got down there and we started the yeah, GPS and the outline of the transaction stuff we were supposed to fly and I was we were picking up moose right away and we were actually big because it's hard to see them without snow we're just seeing cows in the alders and
2: yeah
0: doing uh, doing a population population estimate on the moose and I thought I had smelled fuel I don't know about 20 minutes into the survey on the first transect line and they didn't say anything at first you smell stuff in, in airplanes whether it be a, a drop of oil that leaked under the exhaust stack or maybe a little fuel drip somewhere but I continuously smelled it I don't have a good sense of smell so I asked for a couple minutes I asked the biologist I said hey do you smell any fuel and she's like as soon as i started asking
2: she's like yes
0: really adamant and so i could kind of sense the tenseness in her voice and i said okay well let's let's go off and and let's uh let's fly back for that strip over there and luckily there was a big 1400 foot strip it was real close to us it was about five six miles away so i climbed up a little bit and you know i wasn't freaking out but i i looked for some options to get to there if we half fire or something like that or the engine quit from fuel starvation yeah and originally i thought i maybe left the cap off the belly tank that's got a half cargo half fuel belly pod in that cub oh i see and so i stuck out the window i i stuck my head of the helmet out the window to look and i thought if you leave a cap off a fuel tank the the pressure will just suck the fuel right out and the cap was still on there so that's not it and anyways i came out with a strip uh pretty high and then I just landed I didn't land short like I normally do I just landed about halfway down to make sure the engine wasn't going to stall out and quit on us or whatever but shut uh, yeah. down everything and I called our our dispatch um, and told them we're just going to take a break here and I, before I even got out I could smell it even more and I looked out and just kind of poked my head under the cowling, and I could see a pretty substantial fuel leak there
2: Jeez. and
0: yeah I shut down had the pilot just get out I actually got the little I don't know two-inch diameter, four-inch tall halon fire standard, thinking, what am I going to do this little yeah. wussy thing, you know? But I've been carrying it around in Cubs for years, and I was like, maybe we'll finally get a chance to use this. And,
2: and I it's shut not, the fuel. And it's off, not your airplane, you know, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's a work airplane. It's <laughs> yeah. all insured. I was just happy it's on the ground. Yeah. But I I could see fuel spitting up, and it was actually the top of the gas collator, which is the last... Um, screen and a, a low point in the fuel system to catch water to sump out of the fuel system before it goes right into the car. And this is the point off the top of that gas escalator where the primer line had sheared off. Oh, and it's man. just a, one of those eighth-inch copper lines. You probably have seen them on Cubs or brake lines on four-wheelers and stuff. Yep. And they get they get old, they get brittle, and it sheared it off right of the compression fitting. And it was half over the the hose was actually half over the hole and half not over the hole, which has oh. made it worse.
2: And if it would have been over the
0: hole. It would have kind of protected it. Yeah. But if it would have been off the hole, it would have been shooting up. But now it was basically like you're um, halfway on the end of the guard hose. And it was making a jet stream up straight to the, the heat shroud that wraps around the muffler and everything. Oh. And EGT is on the cub and flight are 1300 degrees. And that thing's probably 800 to a thousand and, it was uh, it was near miss. I mean, you can't ignite ab gas. It's a liquid form, you know. It has to be a vapor and stuff. But any leak forward the firewall, especially when you're holding sixty gallons of ab gas, is a real serious situation. So we uh, we got a mechanic to come down. We got it fixed, and I flew it home. We leak checked it and everything. And, um, it's all good. So just
2: another day yeah. at the office I Yeah, guess.
1: yeah. Would that does that you know, anytime you have little close calls or stuff like that, do you ever, I don't know, I get the only thing I can relate it to, and it's a lot lower stakes and why, you know, you think, you think about owning an airplane and all the things that you, you know, all the unknowns that you're probably going to have to deal with in your career of flying is like, yeah, how many times is this broke on the four-wheeler that on the outboard? I know after, you know, my old outboard, when it finally started to give me problems, you know, or, or like I had a, I had a bearing go out, which isn't a major problem. I mean, it's just drive shaft bearing, but I know after that happened, man, I still like, I'll be riding and any time the pitch of that motor changes, or, you know, sometimes I'll turn yeah. my to have a, have a hoodie on and a hat and I'll turn my head and the, some sounds like the pitch. you know, I'm listening to the, listening to that motor, like, like a dog at a high pitch sound or something, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I've I've been there. Anytime I smell fuel in the airplane, it's gonna vividly bring me back to this experience. And it's it's one thing I'll add to my pre-flight inspection. But don't go around tugging on primer lines using a cub. But it's definitely a spot to look. And it's a serious it's a serious spot to have a break. It's probably never gonna happen to me again my entire life. But I'll definitely be on the lookout for it. And. I don't know. You're probably like me. You know, you send the wife an in-reach message. I, I called her on the south phone. I said, "Hey, I'm gonna, gonna miss the kids' volleyball game." I'm gonna. She's like, "Oh, you weather?" or I So I, said, oh, I just uh, plane almost caught on fire. We had to land or whatever." But it's good now. And she's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. Just, just kind of roll it off. Bounced a lot. I'm like, "Yeah, I could have just burned up, you know," and then had to do a yeah. emergency descent. And crash land, but uh, we made it out, so we're good. I'll probably be home about six for dinner.
1: Yeah, maybe the wording could have been chosen a little bit better there. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know if I use the best words. Yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough because it's scary. You know, I mean, I even even stuff like a like a auto wreck. You know, like I was driving with my son. Phew, well he's three now, so two two years ago, a little more and just I mean slick roads and gotten gotten a pretty bad wreck, you know, no, nobody got hurt or nothing, but man, it was like it was a little it was a little nerve wracking, so I mean, I don't know, anytime time you have a have a close call like that, even when nothing bad happens, it's a little bit of a reality check. Yeah, it is,
0: and I mean for folks who don't know probably the number one worst and we've had a couple this year be mid-air collisions in aviation that's where you strike an airplane and that's when you probably both planes are really going to struggle to walk away from on that one and yeah. then I told the biologist we're sitting there on the strip waiting for a mechanic and tools to come down and she's like so what what would have been the worst in this happening?" I said probably just losing the wing. Other than that this is probably about the worst situation if we yeah. were to actually catch on fire and then she asked she said so what's the <laughs> Sorry, what's the solution? I said, well, when you catch on fire, the first thing you do, I had this curled into me with training over and over, emergencies and terrorized through my career and stuff, is first thing you do is you shut the fuel off. But when you shut the fuel off, the airplane instantly stops running and you don't have an engine.
2: Yep. And at
0: that point, you have an engine that's on fire. and it's basically burning through an aluminum fire, coming right towards your feet, and you're trying to push the airplane over into do nose dive as fast as you can to try and extinguish the plane. Yeah, But there's some fires that aren't aren't able to be put out. So all you've done is add oxygen, which is you know, one of the three parts to make a fire. So you've just intensified it. And now you're going 120 miles an hour straight down a torpedo to the ground, and you got to pull up and try and plant it somewhere into the alders and hope you can get out of the airplane
1: Yeah,
0: and crawl somewhere safely. So it's it wouldn't have been a good situation, but uh, it wasn't my time to go.
1: Yeah, so no, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm happy for that. When I when you posted that video, that fuel pumping out of there, I was like, "Oh man, I'm." Um, I was glad to see that you were okay of that one. That's that's a little bit sketchy, but uh, like I said, another another day in the office, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the closest call I've ever had to dying up here was actually drowning, you know. And as as your recent sheep hunting experiences and stuff, and I think water and hypothermia killed more people than anything up here. A oh, lot of yeah. times, and people think it's the, people think it's the bears or the airplanes are going to get here. It's not, you know, it's exposure and drowning.
1: Well, no, it doesn't, and it really, it really doesn't take much. It doesn't even have to be that cold, you know. I mean, what? Uh, oh yeah. Just just a few weeks ago, here a guy dot like a younger, you know, like early thirties year old guy died on this like height on this i don't know how to describe it's it's not like a difficult trail just this hiking trail you know it's like 40 miles out of town or so up by chena hot springs up by the resort you go from angel rocks and you can hike all the way over to chena hot springs resort and uh yeah guy was got called in as overdue they went up there and he was dead you know so which is just terrible Uh, but 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 it happens you know exposure if you're not mental you know if you're not if you're not properly equipped and mentally like it may may not be the right way to describe it as like mentally prepared but you know what i mean like you know how to what to do if you get in trouble looking for signs of of hypothermia although sometimes you never know like old dr schultz on his sheep that sheep hunt he was on he you know he got hypothermia and before he even knew what was going on he couldn't even use his hands
0: i know that was that was wild wasn't he uh on the, I think I listened to that podcast a while back uh he was on the in reach and his he told his girlfriend or someone back in Fairbanks to google his symptoms or something yeah that's how he diagnosed himself
1: yeah well he he actually he actually had cell phone service where he was at and he had to use his nose to dial cuz his fingers wouldn't work oh yeah yeah it's yeah, uh... yeah that's that's wild yeah, so I mean, you and you never know. It's not like to pass judgment on the guy, like saying he was ill prepared or because you never know what happens. But it's just kind of a reality check. Like you don't you don't have to be very far out of town to I mean, shoot a couple. Like probably one of the longest nights I spent in my life was when I was like sixteen. It was right kind of on the edge of town. I went out like trying to go predator calling, and it was a big full moon. In the middle of the night, it drop down to like thirty below, my truck wouldn't start, and so I had to like get some brush and make a fire, and just kind of tend to fire all night till someone came along and you know because I'd run my battery down, were able to jump me till I could you get get my truck going. But yeah, that wasn't like wasn't remote at all, and it, it could have turned into a dangerous situation.
0: Yeah, I guess stories like that. Last year I had a couple couple of all-nighters sleeping under either a bear hide or a space blanket and just gotta be prepared and stuff and hope you can build a fire but yeah it can get dangerous up here
1: yeah did uh kill you pretty quick oh yeah speaking of did you get just get under the bear hide or did you put the bear hide like like sandwich yourself in so you had some ground insulation too <laughs>
0: No, that's the thing that sucks the heat on you the most, and we, uh it was that, remember I shot on the peninsula, yeah. and I shot him at almost midnight, it was a, it was a long shot, it was five miles or something, and it was still trying to get ingrained in my brain that we'd ranch find something, oh, that's only 2,000 yards, we'll be over there an hour or less, easy,
2: Yeah, and as you know, wrong. In
0: Alaska, wrong sometimes... <laughs> yeah it just owned you over and over and it's like how did it take three hours to go 2,000 yards and we're both pretty in shape and we're not packing a big load yeah and so we weren't going to get back we skinned that bear out and we put our packs down I think we had a garbage bag down and I tried to ground up some grass but we were and there, there's no trees on the peninsula there's no wood we were above alder line it was way up right at snow line at the foot of this glacier and we just set everything up and pulled the bear hide over us which Dunk so bad, yeah. <laughs> I snowed my hair for months, and uh, it was really warm, and heavy at first, like a weighted blanket. But then, as soon as it lost the heat and chilled out, I, I was—I felt bored and hypothermic when I woke up. You know, and I was just running and doing sprints, just like Frank was, you know, just trying yeah. to warm up. I was in full—I was in full puppy layers, the whole moon suit. Get up and sprinting uphill, going left and right, pacing, and I just—I was out of it, but. Didn't die, so
1: no, didn't, here we are. didn't die. Was it you that was posting that, but did you die? Type some post, yeah. Uh, maybe it was, know, just my wife, was
0: Yeah, my wife has a t-shirt that says, did you die? She teaches a lot of fitness classes, and that's kind of her motto.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think it, it, it was either you or your wife that I heard that or saw some post about that from. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs>
0: That yeah, could be, but man, speaking of that I got the I got that lost park parka, yeah, Faro you were and it's just it's just awesome, and you know it doesn't compress as much as down, but after after just seeing how torrential rains can get up here, i mean it's it's um it's unheard of to i mean, you could probably get an inch or something in a short time frame and I was just worried about the down eventually getting wet, and it's lighter and it compresses and stuff, so I wanted to go synthetic, but yeah. thanks for the tip on that. I remember texting and stuff about that, and that thing was bomber. Right? It was so warm. I put that thing on down the peninsula, and it wasn't cold. It was probably 40, but it was also blowing 40. Yeah. Up in our bus, and that, that thing was a lifesaver, and the last time I was in Anchorage, I just went to Barney's and picked up the pants. Yeah, um,
1: they... Uh... The yeah.
2: yeah,
1: that coat, man, I mean, I... I talk about it a lot, but it's, that's like one of my favorite pieces of gear. Like it's by far the warmest puffy jacket I've, I've worn. I mean, I've, and I pretty much used it in like everything from super cold. Like, I mean, sometimes if it wasn't terribly cold, I'd wear it out trapping on the sled. Like it breaks the wind good. Um, sometime, you know, and then I, I mean, but I've wore it from absolutely sopping wet and, and it, I don't know, it's just my, definitely my favorite jacket out there so i'm glad i'm glad you have similar feelings about it after after i i gave you the recommendation not sitting here cussing me because i had you buy a a shitty jacket
0: no it was awesome do you own the pants too
1: yeah i do um i finally got a set this year and i really like them they're you know this similar deal like i i had a set of marmot pants because that's just what i found in town and uh and they don't, they de- they definitely aren't quite as light and they don't compress down as much, but they're, they're definitely superior pants than a lot of the like real lightweight backpacker, like Sherpas or Marmot or Mammut or whatever. than a lot of those pants, like they're, they're heavy duty. They're, they're there to do it. And I, I ended up wearing mine a lot this year on the sheep hunt, you know, especially when me and Frank are having to sit there in the snow and just watch those stupid rams for hours and hours and hours. But, uh yeah I did yeah did you say you you got the the kefaru pants too, or was it different ones?
0: No, I got the pants they're uh so are they the full I tried them on just real quick, but you can you can pull down like your cam pants and then zip the puppy pants right on over your boots same way
1: yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah, you can actually like completely unzip them apart into two halves into front and back, so I mean I just have mine zipped up to the waist. And, you know, the Velcro spot, you know, is attached on the waist. And then, so I'll just pull them out of my backpack and you can just jam your boots through there. It's super easy. They don't even touch, pull them up and zip them down and button them up. And they're, they're, uh, you know, they're there to stay. And they fit, they fit me pretty well. Like I don't need to, sus- they don't have suspenders like my other ones, but, um, I don't really find that I, or haven't found yet that I need them.
0: Yeah, they're killer, man, and that's, we were talking about survival, that's one thing that I won't ever pull out of my pack, I mean, it's, it's still, I put it in a Sea the Summit dry bag, it's a compression bag, but yeah. that and like a little one, one person space blanket was always going to be with me, because I feel like even if you were wet, you could probably strip down, could put those puppies on, get in a space blanket, even in a downpour, and you'd probably still live, you know, it yeah. would suck, but you're probably going to walk
2: away.
1: Yeah, as long as you can get something to keep like fresh cold water from from getting on you. I mean, I haven't done exactly that, but quite a few times I've I've been just completely drenched, you know, and then put my put my rain gear on or put my puffy suit on, put my rain gear on like my Helly Hansen or stuff on over that and after a while like I'm almost dry on the inside and it just pushes all the moisture out to the outer you know to the, the, your vapor barrier like your space blanket or whatever so it may not be comfortable but i think it would i think it would definitely help keep you alive i mean that's what i had to do this year when i you know marched out after on after my tent blew up on me you know by the, when i got back to the to the four-wheeler i mean i still had hours on that thing so i just stripped down naked and well i was already I just had my underwear on under my rain gear but i just got my rain gear off put on my puffy suit and put the rain gear on over over that just to try to break the the rain a little bit even though it was basically, basically worthless at that point but yeah man i mean that a good a good whatever brand you want to use a good puffy suit man that's it's a good thing to have and i think i think that kafara want to be comfortable flying in the winter in a cub too oh yeah i'll put it to
0: the test i mean my cub was built in 1957 so as much window trim seal and you know silicone you want to use it's still pretty drafty in there so it gets cold yeah in the winter times flying out.
1: yeah and they us- usually they have just have a little heater kind of up under the up you know up by the pedals don't they
0: yeah i got i have just a front seat heater um but you'll find this weird my wife gets cold in the back where it's really drafty so take a two inch piece of scat hose, you know, that orange hose you run yeah. for tubs and stuff. And I run that back and I actually got some on order right now. And I'm going to kind of up a deal where it's going to come back and do a split under my seat and then give her about three foot tails on each side. So the back seat passenger, whether it's my kids or my wife, they can, you know, take that and shove them up inside your jacket or whatever. Warm. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I, for residual heat off the windshield defroster as well. And the front, yeah, it's not like your pickup, you know, that's all seal and toasty and no. negative 20 and you're just burning yourself out. I yeah. Would,
1: I would have liked to shot, to shoot the Wolverine that was eating on my brown bear carcass too, man. There's some, some pretty nice colored Wolverines down there. Do you see, you get to see much of that fur when you're flying too?
0: No, I've never seen a Wolverine. I've kept my Kept my eyes out and looked, looked for tracks a lot, um, but I've never seen
1: one. Yeah, well that that gives you something yeah, to here. something something left to do, huh? <laughs> After all, yeah, I jobs. might I might run. Yeah, I thought about maybe
0: running some traps or some buckets or something this winter to try and catch one. You know, but man, you want to talk about? I mean, you know what? If you're not doing trapping big time, you're losing money, and I can't imagine what running a trap line with an airplane would be like. But uh, yeah.
1: Well, especially Can for Wolverines. For- Sorry, got a little bit of lag there. I don't mean to keep cutting you off. As I was just say, especially for Wolverines, oh, no, no especially for Wolverines, you know, it's like kind of a low yield. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, well, you could do all this, you know, you could go hit all these ridges and bucket sets, you know, with a super cub. It's like, yeah, you could do that, but you're going to be spending way more money than you're ever going to catch.
0: Oh, yeah. That's it. Anytime I've trapped it's always been a losing endeavor, but I just do it for a hobby. I ran some I ran some beaver sets close to town just um with the cub on the ice and stuff last year, but uh that still kinda of freaks me out. I don't have a ton of experience to landing on ice and I would bring a giant rock beside your head, you know, 20 yeah. twenty pound rock and drop it. I would drop it from a thousand feet. Every time I went <laughs> out, you know, I had an 18, 18 or eighteen or twenty inch bar saw and my saw wasn't going way through the ice and I still just every time I go, I drop the rock just to make sure before I landed, thinking if that thing's going to bounce from a thousand foot drop, then my twelve hundred pound cub's probably going to be okay. To oh, land yeah. next to the Beaver House, but
1: yeah, it's funny, man. Like there's there's stuff that I'm the same way about. You know, it's it just like I don't like riding my sled on river ice at all. Like not at all. Do not, yeah. not don't like it. I, I spend as little time as possible. You know, and some guys that know. It's just just stories you hear from the old timers, you know, and I mean, even guys I know, like yeah, you you know, ride over the same spot all winter long, and it never warms up. Then all of a sudden, you know, water levels change. All of a sudden, you're you know, there's no ice there. Um, the stuff changes, but yeah, that reminded me of, of another story. <laughs> a guy checking a, a spot to land on a glacier for a, a you know some sheep. This is like back in the '60s. Was telling me, you know, and wasn't sure if the glacier was going to be. Hard enough to land on right there, so he did the same thing. Went down, but got a bunch of river rocks from some gravel bar and flew over and kicked them out the kicked them out the door to make sure they'd bounce.
2: <laughs> yep, exactly.
0: That's that's pretty good telltale sign. You know, and I just I get that from going out of ice fishing with the plane or setting traps or anything like there. I've I talked guys that just bounce their tires off the ice, but that's never seemed like a surefire way. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially if I got kids. Got kids in the plane and stuff too. You, I mean, something you and I would do in the airplane would be a whole different level than what I do with my kids in there. You know, just because yeah. you're flying a whole lot different, taking take a lot more precautions. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, and and it's probably worth pointing out that the the weather is is a little bit sketchier in that regard down there because I mean it gets cold out there, but I saw you're just like wearing normal clothes when you shot your caribou the other day. Like that shit ain't happening here right now you know you, you in the in no. most of the interior you know it gets so flipping cold that generally like i you know after after winter's set in ice is not a concern whereas out there you probably do have quite a bit of fluctuating above freezing sometimes and you know stuff's just oh, a yeah. little bit stuff's a little more volatile out there i would imagine
0: yeah it would be tough um
1: running yeah what we're we talking about ice
0: just the ice yeah i mean when i went on that carry i looked at the forecast and i didn't even bring my preheater because it wasn't supposed to low it was supposed to get down to 38 or 39 or something like that yeah you don't, even, you don't even need to worry about ice or anything like that i was i was hiking around in just long sleeve shirt you know wool shirt it was it was great it actually started to get kind of cold we might get a little snow tomorrow but the you guys up there you got some good winter weather and some good snow we can get a lot of snow in king salmon it'll snow and then rain a couple of days later and turn to ice you know and makes yeah. it kind of difficult yeah you want to stay on tires for keys
1: oh totally yeah one well, you know you hear about it a lot from guys trap that trap out in that country it's it's tough on the trap and a you can't get your sled around as easy and uh you know that kind of that kind of weather that like freeze thaw weather is just rough on gear it's tough to keep gear working which i imagine you know out there by King Salmon a lot of that peninsula and especially up that like lower Kuskokwim country man, like see some just beautiful fox come out of there especially like fox fox mink and otters although the you know who knows what anything's going to be worth this year but some of the nicest otters and mink i've ever seen come out of that country
0: yeah, we, we got a lot of foxes. There's a couple locals that hang around my airplane. I actually had had one in the front yard the other day when my kids and I were cleaning up the caribou. <laughs> my kids I was gonna whack it with my bow and I came to full draw on it and they don't they don't know the difference between a field point and a broad head and I wasn't gonna shoot the thing but yeah. don't
2: shoot the pet <laughs>
0: you know, they're they're sitting here feeding caribou scraps out of their hand pretty much to it, you know, they're just hungry. Yeah. I wasn't gonna shoot the thing, though.
2: No. Yeah. But yeah, we
0: got a lot of boxing stuff around and I've seen a couple links, but never you know, never a good find one that I wanted to shoot or anything. They're always in the summer, so Yeah. Well I might to... run some stuff, but all that freezing rain stuff
1: Yeah. Yeah. And freeze that freezing rain's rough on high. Like I, it seems like stuff starts, you know, not rubbing necessarily better, but a lot of those like real fine haired animals, they'll get that freezing rain, get their, get their, their hair real wet. And then if it drops down and gets real cold, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, at least I attribute, attribute some of the like blotchy type of fur. Like when I was doing a lot of Martin trapping, you know, if you get, Sometimes if you get that freeze thaw you get some that some that weren't didn't look quite right or like just some of their didn't have all their tips, they weren't real heavy, like heavy skins like they should be. But uh yeah, screw that. I'd rather have it just stay if it's gonna freeze, let it stay froze, you know.
0: Yeah. And then your traps keep working and stuff, you know, if it just stays cold, that's the that's the trouble.
1: Yeah. I'm glad I don't have anything out right I'm glad I don't have anything out right now. It's been for the last two days it's been blowing like a son of a bitch up here. I dunno like yeah, I guess occasionally you get a windstorm in November, but man, it's I mean it's been blowing hard at my place, like rattling the rattling the rafters a little bit. Pretty unusual. Yeah, we,
0: we call we call that Tuesday down here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a that spot where you it's unusual if the wind's not howling down there.
0: Yeah, it makes it. That's the hard thing about the cub. You know, you got to check the forecast. And okay, well, there's no big pressure coming in. It could still blow 40. You know, and yeah, they talk about planes Cubs fly, Cubs fly at 40. So I bring those those wing covers that have the little spoiler strip on them. You know, and those yeah. are pretty good game changer. And I have confidence in those. And they, the plane be kind of shaking in the tie downs a little bit, even with blowing 20. Yeah, because we got a pretty. I don't know, Cubs has got a high-lift wing on it, but you put those on, it pretty much stops it, which is nice. But I've never really been out to put them to the test, like, oh, it's going to blow 60 or something like that. Let's see what they do, because I don't try and put myself in that situation. But, yeah, we get we get bad winds down here, and you just got to learn to fly in them for the most part.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one, the, the brown bear hunt I did down there a few years ago, I mean, it wasn't that far out of King Salmon, and, man, it – that was on a hunt that was probably the like heaviest wind i'd ever seen i think my buddy steve, steve had his little Kestrel wind meter and i think it said it was blowing 80 or something like that miles an hour not knots but um yeah yeah that's that's the only place that i've i think i've on a hunting trip that i've experienced wind harder than what i did this year sheep hunting and we were lucky i mean we had a nice little like pothole up off the beach that were you know our tents were all down in a hole basically so they were pretty sheltered but it was still it's pretty pretty impressive you start feeling pretty small when you get out in some, some of those conditions you know yeah
0: it does it's a, it's a serious thing down here man and it just changes so rapidly you know oh yeah crazy
1: yeah you're so- I don't know. we're
0: pretty low key compared to Kodiak no, those guys, I just had a buddy. He just got off today, and they've just been getting
1: pounded over there. Oh Horrible. yeah, man! I don't know. I've been hearing all sorts of chatter about guys being extremely unhappy with Raven Airlines, and and uh, oh yeah, and you know being stuck on Kodiak, you know, like not having a single flight go in or out for six days. I guess Alaska have been has been taking the jet in there. You know, I don't know. I know Nick. I know Nick and John and some of them guys are down there hunting right now, and they actually did get out to go hunting. But I don't think it's been there hasn't been a lot of blue skies around recently down there.
0: Yeah, it makes it pretty tough. And I actually just texted Trevor today, you know, and you, you finally you finally get a tag down there, and then you you go down, you got so much time off work, and you pay for a charter to go out. And you can have nasty weather every single day, and you're not hardly leaving the tent. That's oh yeah. A, the problem with places like that, but that's where the big bears are. So they're in yep. the peninsula.
1: Yep, that's the truth. Where the weather's stuff. Yep, you can't you can't kill them if you don't go and and risk it. Some guys, I mean, it. I know Frank's talked about. We were just talking about this the other day. You know, when Kodiak came up. You know, there's guys. He knew that coming out to the lodge. You know, when he was working out there, that like it took him two trips to even make it to the lodge you know one guy he was saying it spent a whole his first try had spent a whole week in kodiak could never you know fly out in a beaver or 206 whatever he was taking and then had to turn around and go home
0: well that's nuts
1: yeah i mean i've been yeah. i've been waiting in anchorage to go to kodiak and got turned around you know flight canceled been you know you're sitting there talking to a bunch of guys flying up from the states you know been planning this trip for a year or whatever, and you know eh, sorry, it's canceled. they call the outfitter Yep. Eh, well, try again next year. <laughs> it's what he what I remember yep. him saying yeah I mean it's not like there's and people i mean tend to some of the people you're you're dealing with or people that live on Kodiak tend to get a little jaded to it, you know it's like, oh, well, it is it you just accept that it is what it is, can't do anything about it,
0: yeah, I've never – I've never been to Kodiak, but I got plans in the works to. I don't think I can pull off a spring hunt this next spring, but I got plans to go. Hopefully next year, hopefully shoot a goat and a couple of deer. I just I want to get over there and do it. But that's that's another thing, guys. Ask me why don't you just fly your cub. It's only an hour and a half, and that's not the place you want to keep an airplane. A <laughs> high concentration of bears with tides and with that weather—that's not a good place to want to do that. And I just I don't get a warm fuzzy about you know i think it's 22 or 24 nautical miles the narrowest part to cross the chalakof strait there and that's uh, a lot of open water on wheels
1: yeah i uh i know some i know some guys from fairbanks that at least you know a few years ago they'd go down periodically they'd fly their cubs all the way down there and I mean, part of it was just the adventure for them um yeah they'd, they'd fly their cubs down and i know the one guy said from <clears throat> whether they'd, fl- I think they'd fly down to Homer and then shoot across, said he'd just read a book, you know, to take his mind off of flying over the ocean. But yeah, they'd fly their wheel planes down there to the South end and they had something figured out, you know, but um, yeah, it's de- yeah. definitely a little more of a, of a high risk scenario for your airplane. Yeah, for sure. If
2: you can get the weather, you could do it
0: for sure. But it's just, for me, it's less headache. I could just, you know, fly to Anchorage and hope to would be able to get me down there and then just you don't have to worry and like yeah. when we're talking you get dropped yeah. off to the beaver you can just go hunting and that's I've had hunts like that, which is nice in the my wife's brown bear hunt. We went down and I had a I put a friend on my insurance for my cut. I just had him fly out of there. So that made it really nice. We didn't have to worry about once that airplane leaves, you know, some people freak out when they see the airplane leave, and I was—it was so weird. It was the first time I ever seen my airplane fly, because I've been the only one flying it. Yeah. And uh, but it was—it uh, was a joy to have me see it leave because I knew it was going to be parked at the strip and back in King Salmon, and it was going to be protected if it got wind and nasty. All I had to worry about was keeping our tent upright, which worked out pretty good.
1: Nice, yeah, man. Yeah, what, uh, why don't you give me the skinny on that? I hadn't actually, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but uh, that was a beautiful bear your wife got.
0: Yeah, I sent you the shot, didn't I? What's that? I sent you the video of the shot, didn't I? She yeah, it.
1: Yeah, you did. That was awesome. Because weren't you saying... Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. made, a, she
0: made a great shot. Uh, her backstory is she's definitely deathly afraid of bears. And so she thought by conquering her fear of shooting one with a bow, it would, it would cease that fear and we'll see, you know, but, uh, he's had a bear encounters. I've had a lot this year. It's weird. I think between both of us, we've shot four bears and, uh, actually she went out of the tent, she came right up next to the tent, was going for actually bit a hole in my tent, but that's a whole nother story. But we went down there and, uh, found a good spot with some fish and a bunny took his plane with his son and then we took our plane down. So basically two small airplane loads, got everything there, set up a few days early, Uh, pretty windy and nasty the first few days. And I mean, just probably like the bear hunts you've experienced, you see less and less bears each day, even though you try and not do anything to spread your scent. And we only walked about 500 yards to our our glassing knob, to our tent. We took the same touch any brush or anything. And uh, it's inevitable your scent still gets around. And we never saw any real big smasher boars, nothing of the caliber I ever saw. And uh, we were down there and the we figured out the fish were so fresh that they weren't dead enough for the bears to really be fishing because all the guys I've talked to that are really good at shooting brown bears with bows and stuff. They said kind of watch them and pattern the bears and see where they like to fish. Yep. We never saw that all the bears, all the bears we were attempting to stock was like a transition. It was almost like a spring hunt where we'd see them and then we'd try and get ahead of them. And that's a, that's a failed technique
2: because they can yeah. just move so fast. Yeah.
0: But try to get in front of a herd of caribou that's feeding, you just can't do it. Yeah. And so eventually I think it was day three or four, um second day of hunting we finally saw this bear and it was just walking up the beach and then it turned and it started to come up the creek towards us we went down she had the gopro roll and i had the video camera behind her and i'm a horrible person on the video camera usually because I'm, I'm trying to be selfish and look and see what's going on through my own eyes and not yep. look through the view and everything captured you know what i mean so it's yep. really hard to it's hard to be that guy but i she told me, "You better not screw this up. I'm gonna be so mad." <laughs> and so I really tried. I really tried so hard, but it was a, it was a nice it was a nice bear. It ended up being about an eight foot four sow, I think twenty two and change, twenty two and a half for a skull. And uh, we walked in. And it was coming up this creek, and we were finally able to intercept it. But it was a slower feeding mode. It wasn't like moving plant point A to point B. Yeah. And we got on the creek where the bear was coming up and it was coming up our side. And I said, okay, well, Tana, we're going to scoot back five or six yards. Otherwise the thing's going to be right on us. Cause we were right on the edge and it got to about 60 yards and then it crossed and it was a pretty mm-hmm. wide Creek. And so she ranged; it was 57 yards well, when it was crossed. And I told her, Hey, scoot up further. So you have a closer shot. So then we moved back to the spot we originally were. And that bear came across, went down a little dip. She came to full draw. I'm right over her shoulder at the camera. And,
2: it was amazing
0: shot. It was right at 50 yards and she had about a 20 mile an hour crosswind directly from the left. And I can't, I can't hold a bow steady in that. I mean, I'm not a good bow shot. I have
2: some issues. I got to work through as archery I archer. Mean, I'm <laughs>
0: decent at 40 or 50 yards, but I'm, yeah. I'm not only the guys that can launch bombs way down range or, you know, even holding it steady in a 10 mile an hour winds hard for me. And she stuck that arrow right behind the shoulder and it buried up the fletching. And, uh, I had the 338 next to me, but I wasn't even considering grounding it because she made a great shot. And uh, it ran about 100 yards, and I'm sure, like, you've seen them. They'll reach back just like an elk or a deer, and they'll pull that arrow out. Well, it only pulled it out about halfway, and then I'm watching it through the viewfinders. I'm getting the footage, and as it was running, the cool thing about a broadhead, they never really realized is that arrow just keeps working. every time that leg would come back and hit it, it's just in there doing damage. Oh, yeah. And uh, that bear went another 200 yards. We kind of backed up, back to our glass and out to get some elevation and then just pulled out of the spot and scope and watched it die about 300 yards. And it got up a couple times and acted like it was going to walk, but it just had its mouth hanging open, and it was obviously injured pretty good. I think she got one lung, maybe two. And uh, it would you'd see the arrow sticking out, and it would get up. And we
2: were trying to walk,
0: and then just kind of teetered back over and fall over. Well, it'd fall right over on the shaft of the arrow,
2: oh, and just yeah. jam
0: that thing all the way, all the way through. So that thing was just in there getting hammered. And uh, we eventually got up to it, and uh, yeah, super pretty high, gorgeous. pair claws. The arrow was coming out, uh, pointed towards the butt, and it was below the sternum, so it just kept working in there. And they just they just keep digging there. Yeah. incredible how big of an animal an arrow can kill if you just make a good shot
1: you know oh totally yeah it's uh one thing that's amazing amazed me is is how quickly an arrow works on a bear that doesn't know you're there like even you know i haven't oh, yeah. any brown bears with them obviously like the bigger the animal the more blood that it has to lose before it you know it's like a moose you know i've shot some moose and it like Take some, sometimes a couple minutes to tip over, but it's just you know they got a lot more blood to lose before they go before everything before it's night night time, but uh, yeah, so I mean there's some of those grizzly bears that don't that you can put if you get a good shot through both lungs or the heart and they don't know you're there, man, they do not go far. Like it's it's amazing how quick it kills them, like quicker than a lot of rifles. Yeah, I've
2: seen.
0: Yeah, it's I've been I've been researching that a lot. I think it's the adrenal glands that get going in a bear. They hear that rifle shot. and it, It's something about their chemistry or the way they were raised or something. They just they go into like super rage tweaker mode where they don't feel anything and they can just go in like Hulk mode. But with yeah. that arrow, it's, it's a deadly killer. You know, you rip that arrow through their lungs and they're dead. But they don't. They turn around and they punch it or something. But they don't really have that shock feeling where they're just gonna run and take off and go into beast mode like that.
2: Cause, oh yeah but when
0: i I shot, I shot about a seven foot sow over bait this spring and I just perfect shot got it on video and uh she went i think fifteen steps and died you know just instantly it was crazy,
1: yeah well, and even the you know the grizzly bear I killed with that stone point this year, although it was. You know, my shot was not as ideal as I thought it was just because the way the angle the bear was standing at it and, you know, hit three inches behind the front shoulder where I wanted it to, but he was standing quartering towards me way harder than I thought. So it was like, it was yeah. like diaphragm and liver and guts. And the thing, you know, and he only ran like 70 yards and stopped. That's, you know... We waited three hours, and then I'm like, God, ah, he's got to be dead right there. Went in there, and he was still there. He wasn't dead yet, but he had no idea. Like, had no idea anything was, you know, he just all of a sudden, you know, a twig snapped, and he didn't feel so good all of a sudden. You know what I mean? So, it's pretty It's pretty yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a lot nicer if you make a, if you make a bad shot on something like that. They don't, they don't have the adrenaline like a rifle shot or anything like that to just freak out. They'll just run and... Just like you said, so they got some cover and they lay down and save them. If you give them some time, usually they're going to die. You bump them.
1: Yeah, and I think if we hadn't have gone in there and bumped him, I think he would have been laying. If we had just pulled out and come back the next morning, he would have been laying dead right there. I'm pretty sure. So, but I mean, yeah. All in all, we found him. It's.
0: So you, but, are you going to be dying to use a stone point come spring?
1: I am never freaking shooting anything else with a stone point ever again. Not because it wasn't yeah. cool, like it was, it was like, I'm very happy I did it. It was like a, it was a cool experience, but it was just too stressful. That's what it, I mean, it wasn't like, did I despise stone points or whatever? I mean, they did better than a lot of modern broadheads probably would, but uh, it was just stressful, you know, having arrows. I can't practice with these arrows, you know? So it's like, I'm just trusting that they're going to fly just like the steel, one. the the weight matched steel ones I built or with steel broadheads, and they did, they flew really good. Um, just a touch low, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a lofty goal and I'm glad I did it, but it's going to feel good just to, just to build some, some modern arrows you know, or just use, use the arrows I want to use.
0: Yeah, that's still impressive. I mean, like I said, I'm not the best bow shot, but I'm looking at some of your groups and stuff. And you're talking about launching bombs to like 70, and I'm I'm not even there with a the compound, you know, shooting a Matthews at like 280 or 290. Is pretty incredible, you guys. You guys can do, but I mean, you're practicing a lot. I see your stuff on Instagram, you know, where you're getting your form solid and all that. But it's still pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, is what it is. But it, it I, I enjoy it. You like, still
0: got to I- kill a ramp.
1: Yeah, I do. Still got to kill a ram. I uh, will see see how the draws come out. I make a, I'll, I haven't made up my mind yet what I'm going to do this year, but it kind of depends on where we're going to go and and whatnot. Um, either way, I mean, I, I just freaking have a hoot sheep hunting. So we'll see. But I I will do it someday. I definitely don't regret taking the bow this year. Um, it was a pretty cool experience, cool and and frustrating at the same time. But it was. It was, it was something else. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I I don't know if I already said that. I, I begged my wife to pick up the rifle. I said I will not take anything less than you. whacked that bear
2: this that's, rifle right here. That's
1: what I was. I was going to tell you. I was like, didn't you? Because I remembered when after you guys got back, and I was, you're like, I, I thought I remembered you saying that you tried to convince her to blast him, <laughs> to blast her.
0: Oh yeah, dude. I'm like the devil's advocate. I like pleading with her. I'm like, freaking am going to shoot that thing. It's sitting there 200 yards. Just kill it. And she looked at me and said, I'm not shooting it with a rifle. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm glad she didn't. But it's, yeah, I'm like, if there's a rifle within a mile, the bow is getting thrown down on the ground. We're leaving that thing. I'm just going to pick up the gun.
2: Yeah.
0: Because I can kill it. So, it has to be kind of bow. It has to be bow or nothing. Like, I can't even have any firearm near me. But, it's it's cool what they say, you know. The the archery hunt starts where that rifle hunt would stop. You whack that thing at two, three hundred yards, like you said. I mean, look how how close you were to the rims this year just with the
2: bow?
1: Oh yeah, you know, I mean, trying I, to move in. Yeah, I mean, I got I got to a hundred multiple times and got to sixty five once, which I would have shot, assuming you know, like everything was lining up. I was shooting at fifty five, so like another ten yards. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, inside I was inside rifle, easy rifle range of them every single day, and uh, and just couldn't, you know, couldn't make it happen the rest of the way. But I don't know. It's like I don't know. It's part of the learning experience. I'm glad I did it. I'm also glad uh, Doctor Schultz came in with the bang stick and I got to go home with one too. You know, I just yeah,
0: that's a clutch move, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I'm texting him on the in reach, I'm like, Oh well if the weather's bad over where you're at, uh yeah, there's two legal ones here. <laughs> oh man, that was that was that was something else. It was it was a good year. So only way that would have been better was was had I actually killed him with the recurve, but I, I don't I don't regret my actions. No, man. I didn't
0: get a sheep this year. I got pretty hard. My my first sheep I ever got was I had a brother in law come up and we shot two rams side by side.
2: Yeah. It was
0: one of those twenty five hour days. One of those long twenty five hour days. But then last year I I tried to do as much scout. I'm really busy in the summer's work and I tried to do as much scouting as I could and I'm a I'm a long ways from sheep country and King Salmon, so I was flying a long ways and um it was super hot, you know, just a yeah. really weird summer and the the legal rams that we did see were just, I mean, unacceptable. Even with a helicopter, I don't think I could have killed them. They were just in the nastiest of the crags and there was no way to even try and get close. Um and just yeah, it was hard. It was kind of a hard pill to swallow, but uh just some more motivation for next year to hopefully go in and you know, try some different areas and get into the sheep.
1: Heck yeah, man. Yep, you're uh Yeah. Yeah, you're just kind of you're just getting started, man. I have no have no doubt you're gonna you're gonna have some awesome adventures to come. So you just need to move up to Fairbanks, so I have a good buddy. So I have another good buddy with an airplane. <laughs> if I know. I'm not being be, not being selfish we'd be at all.
2: Spots for,
0: yeah, we could turn spots for. I know we talked about that. Your spots, my airplane. We could do some damage, I'm sure.
1: Oh with yeah, some sheep hunting. There's no no doubt about that, That's, man.
0: It doesn't blow that much
1: up there, does it? I mean, it's a big wind. Is it
0: blowing twenty? No. I mean, if it's that's windy
1: up there in Fairbanks, if it's blowing twenty, it's that's blowing hard. Um, I mean, it, it will a little get harder than that, but you know, up in up in the mountains, you get some shifty winds, and like you know, like you know, every every specific spot you might want to land has its own dynamics. You know, like. Like there's you know, there's strips I know of that like or one in particular that you know, you could be sitting on that strip for fifteen days and it's always a crosswind. And then one day the wind yeah. lets up enough for you to get in there or out of there. But uh Yeah.
0: That's the spot that I love to go into because air taxis are never gonna take a guy into a place that's super nasty where they gotta wait for just the right because they have a schedule to pick up you know yeah.
1: oh yeah and
0: uh i don't you know i'll take 10 days for a hunt and i'm hoping to hunt for five or six but i'll spend the time waiting to get the right weather or land somewhere and walk over and improve a little strip or cut some remove some rocks to make it just big enough so i can operate out of there you know
2: yeah and
0: uh those are the kind of those are the kind of spots i'm looking for because i mean even up here there's so many dudes with cubs that you you still got to be trying to get yourself a niche away from away from where people are going. You yeah, know, sheep
1: hunting especially. Oh it's, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. and and there's kind of an art to that. You know, it's it. You know, guys, I know that are successful all the time. Like it's you know you you spend a ton of time flying or it's like the cut. You know, the airplane world and the on foot world and the ATV world and they do overlap a little bit. But, like, it's all kind of its own deal, you know. Like, a lot of the guys with airplanes are yeah. playing over in spots that no one else is going to be. But you're going to, you know, that's why other guys with airplanes are there, too. So, you know, I think, you know, for as much country as there is, it, you know, it can get kind of, it can seem to be kind of crowded sometimes. But, uh, I mean, I've gotten cheap in a couple stupid spots. Like, just stupid. Should not, you know, like. <laughs> if people, if people only knew, but, um, but yeah, I mean sometimes, yeah, that's, sometimes that's you, why that's why they're there, you know, because people don't know or everybody overlooks some stuff, you know.
0: Isn't it high time that you just don't talk about lying? When you're hunting, we're chief hunting? because you have a post about that the other day. You're not supposed to be a liar on hunting
2: stuff, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess you got me there. Not supposed to. Well, I know. Let, let me see if I if, build a bean Or did I phrase, well, I guess the way I worded it in that article (laughs) where I talked about, like, you know, for those who who may may not have read it, basically talking about all the BS on social media and, you know, if you have to lie about something you're doing in the outdoors, you're probably not doing it for the right reasons, uh, which was not too bright on my part because I didn't leave a, leave a, a caveat for Lying about your hunting spots, so I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm just not going to tell, I was I think that's okay. Yeah. That's still practice. That's still practice. I, think what I preach, right?
0: Yeah, Jonah was the first one to get on that Said, "Okay, don't lie. Tell me where you hunt Right now,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that, like, I, I
0: like, I like that. Like,
1: oh man, he got me.
0: <laughs> but, I know. Hey, speaking of reading stuff, I just read your article, and I didn't know that the uh, the whole gripping grin thing taking a picture with your dead trophy animal was frowned upon um i had never i read the whole thing but i didn't know like people were frowning with their animals to show distaste or is that a movement, or what's that about well i
2: guess under rock
1: well there for a few a few years ago on facebook like everyone was doing the like you know the trophy picture where they're like looking into the elk's eyes you know like uh, you know, I know, like, that. Like the sad face, that shit. Yeah, yeah, that's what that was talking about. And, you know, like, it is always like how you know, respect the animal. It's whatever, which obviously, like, we love these animals we that we hunt. You know, we have a lot of respect for them. But just, like, putting on some fake face for your photo so you can get more likes, you know, isn't actually doing anything to respect the animal. And anyway, so there's – it kind of came out of that. And it's just, like, it uh, – and I'll I'll tell you I'll specifically point you in the right direction of like where you can go hear about this, but uh, it's just like the kind of the hunting hipster that yeah I don't know they want to be like hunter philosophers or something and oh well you know so like a while back what about a year ago it popped up on a podcast guys think you know question oh should we get rid of the grip and grin you know it's just what everybody else calls your trophy pictures or i don't know what yeah. else to call it you know so you, just because you happen to be smiling in it and happy happy that you actually got your animal um so anyway, yeah i mean anyway.
0: go ahead my wife's death threats from shooting a shooting a bear and there's why is this cruel woman smiling it's like you don't know what a feat that is to spot and stalk a brown bear in the last peninsula with a bow. Do it yourself and be a chick. I mean, there's not a lot of people that have done that, I'm assuming. And she was pumped, you know. She actually started crying. I said, quit your crying. There's no crying. <laughs> yeah. And she was just elated because she just pulled it off. And, yeah. you know, she practiced all year and everything. And you want to make people mad, go and start killing bears and wolves, as you know. Oh, You're yeah. like of the most hated wolf dudes in the world, right?
1: Yeah, well, and, and, yeah, that, and some, they say African stuff. I didn't get any flack off, like, my baboons or anything, obviously. The one of them looked like he was high. The one baboon looked like it was high as a kite. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I mean, like, yeah. to be honest, like, walk up and the thing's laying on its back, smiling ear to ear. It was just like, yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, I, I don't know, I did, I tried not to, like, I tried to like take the pictures in a manner that was like not over the top, you know what I mean? But but anyway, so then, you know, the the du- there was a couple dudes like got on this, "Yeah, we should quit doing grip and grins. It's hurting hunting, you know, cuz it make people get offended and get mad and then, you know, then there was like a big, you know, caught they caught some crap for it and a big backpedal. And then, you know, I hadn't really heard much about it. then, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, like, the the Grip and Grin 2.0 with, like, the just, you know, stripped, you know, spinal column with ribs or whatever, you know, with all the meat cleaned off. Which, whatever, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, take the meat. But, like, freaking don't, don't try to kid me like you're holding that up like just for your own attention that's not how you want to remember that animal you're just taking a picture of all yeah. you removed all the meat to show off to your hipster buddies you know what i mean um yeah so, i mean when
0: my five freezers are empty next year i can still look back on the rack and the pictures we have on our on our walls and remember what an epic hunt that was or all oh, that stuff because i'd sleep under that bear hide i still remember how old that was i mean oh yeah those are just memories to the last yeah, I'm not going to change my ways whatsoever, but that's, I mean, you kind of touched on it with, well, let's be real and stop lying. If you're lying when you're hunting, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, but, you know, I just got to say it's a little bit of a rant, but I'm just, I'm sick and tired of seeing these people that are, I guess, in the industry and I'm not a huge Instagrammer, but they have thousands and thousands of followers and they're ambassadors for a dozen different companies. Oh, and yeah. They never
2: kill anything.
0: And the, my wife loves the word huntress. You know, she hates when I call her that it's a joke in our house. Yeah. But, oh, look at this new huntress. Well, how does, she, you know, how does she have all these followers? She never killed anything, and she's an ambassador for all these different outdoor companies. That just blows my mind, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. And the
0: industry is just kind of going down the wrong road sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's one you 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 must not have read the one i wrote about social media a couple a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago whenever it was that was
2: uh, you should send me
1: i'll i'll, I'll send you that one cuz yeah it's i mean i i yeah that's that shit irritates me so much too. i mean it and there's there's reasons like there's there's reasons like some person who doesn't look like they can hunt their way out of a wet paper bag you know has 200,000 followers and you know it's it's all a farce man it doesn't mean anything ultimately but uh so yeah like like to finish that uh like finish the story on the grip and grin thing um the dude you know the one dude originally was like oh we should get rid of him and then backpedaled and you know, we're going to discuss the ethics of the grip and grin, you know, on this podcast and whatever, like it was a decent discussion. And one of the guys actually, I was like, yeah, kind of, I wasn't sure what I thought of, of, you know, or wasn't sure what they thought, but he's like, you know, basically said what the, what I would think. It's like, you know, why'd you take a picture of that well, I was happy? I killed it. <laughs> You know, I mean, like pretty simple, but yeah. but still like the, the, you know, then two other guys up, oh, yep, I'm just not going to do them. I'm just gonna, not going to do them. Well, okay. Like that's fine if you don't want to do them, but don't like, don't, you can't pretend that you're not, oh, well, why are you telling every, so, I'm not going to do them, but I'm going to make sure and tell everyone that I'm not doing it. You know, try to set, it's like the reverse psychology type of thing. Oh, you do whatever you yep. want, buddy, but, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do them, but make sure and tell everybody about it.
0: Yeah. I know. And, and, it's kind of like people who are vegan, it's vegans, you know. They, they make sure they tell the world.
1: Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, and it's not even, you yeah. know, like, if a person doesn't want to take pictures of their animals, I could care less. You know, that's, that's your thing. But don't go, like, projecting this shit on the rest of us, you know, especially... I just yeah I got I was pretty fired up. What what was published was the edited version. I'll just I'll just say that. (laughs) But uh, I
0: could see that a couple rewrites. Yeah, yeah, I don't don't get that.
1: There was a couple little rewrites, which uh, I mean, my editor Alex is, is, and he's actually the editor in chief of Outdoor Life now. He's a great dude, and and he does a good job of uh, bringing it back into an appropriate level. So. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I was just. I don't know. I was irate. Like, come on, man. You know, and just even to imply that. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Like, I, I'm pretty almost burn out on it. If that makes sense, it's <laughs> yeah. like if you, you know,
2: man, I, I I, I felt fact.
1: like I go and explain, like you know, and people, know, people that don't do it might not understand, but like there before I put a knife to that animal, that's the last time that's an animal. And like, that's how I want to remember it. You know, pretty soon it's just, it's just going to be turned into, it's just meat and Cape and horns and whatever in my backpack, you know, like now it's an animal. Like I get to like, look at this thing. The last time it's an animal, you know, like the meat obviously is important with, you know, like a sheep or something, you know, we can, it's debatable on grizzly bears at the very least. Um, yeah. But you know you know what I mean. I mean I'm preaching to the choir here, but
0: Yeah, I just I just hate the, the ethics please. Oh, that was unethical or oh you didn't need the parasitic meat from the burn bear. That's unethical. I love the ethics please. It's like I asked people to show me the Alaska Department of Fish and Game ethics book and no one has yet to produce one for me. Yeah. So until <laughs> then I'm gonna go by the ADF and G rules and
1: regulations. And
0: if I'm following those and I can sleep good at night and look myself in the mirror, which I can, I'm fine with not eating brown bear meat, you
1: know? Oh, yeah. Well, and I don't know, it seems like a lot of the most experienced people you know out in the sticks, like, you know, these, I don't know, people that are new to hunting, you know, like they, they say, like, they call like adult onset hunting or whatever. Like, yeah, those people are probably going to rub them the wrong way. Like, they're going to seem like total savages. But, like, man, they have, a, like, a ton of respect for, for, and they care a lot about, the, you know, the animals and the country they, they are a part of and whatnot. You know what I mean? It's it's just absurd, yeah. like, the amount, you know, for, for people to go assume the intention behind anything you're doing, you know, without, like, at least, like, be, re- you know, if you're questioning it, like, be respectful and ask, you know. Everybody's human beings, and that's one thing that the internet, I mean, it just, you you can say anything you want, and you're probably not going to get punched in the face for it.
0: I know, dude. You nailed that. That's the biggest problem with the internet and social media, and all the guys that live in mom's basement eating their hot pockets. You know, <laughs> yeah. they can talk all the crap they want, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's what you said about like conservation and stuff. No one probably likes sheep more than you. You yeah. know, you're you're obsessed with sheep farming. I think sheep one's super cool. I like moose a lot too. Yeah, and but I also like to eat them you know? Yeah. And so it's a big challenge. If I shoot a big bull and I cut their teeth out and I get them aged and everything, And I get to know, I'm, I'm fascinated with all, all creatures, but it's really cool to dive in the biology, biology of them and see how old they were and how they score and the different genetics and everything. just watch them in their environment and having that picture. That's just, that's the last thing I'm going to have on my wall, you know, besides the rack or something. Yeah. Well, and even to look at that memory.
1: Yeah, you know, and even, like, I mean, and I might have said, and I can't remember if I wrote in there, at least I intended to, that, I mean, that's like, a lot of people don't understand taxidermy, like, if I say, hey, Adam, like, you know, here, I'll give you one of my sheep heads, like, that's not going to mean anything to you, you know what I mean? So, like, it's... It, oh, yeah. So, people that don't hunt, a lot of times, don't understand, like, the connection and what that, like, the purpose for mounting an animal and being able to look at it every day and it's not you know it's it's not like the collector generally it's not like a just a like the collector mentality you know it's it's you you keep these things and take pictures for the same reason to to preserve the memories you know what i mean i mean that's that's what we're saying
0: yeah, but when you're up to like as many Rams as you got, you're kind of considered a collector. I mean, that's kind of hard to be, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. How many do you got? 12? 13.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Was there ever a time? I don't think anyone's asked you. Was there ever a time this year you thought you were going to break the streak until Dr. Schultz made the close move and brought in the gun?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I was like, eh, after. After the Rams left where they had been, because I, you know, where I'd gotten close to them all those times, like 100 yards, and then finally got to 65, when I got to 65, they were in a spot that they kept going to every day, Um, that I knew that's where I was going to kill them, and that's how I was going to kill them, and then that night, as soon as I figured yeah. it out, that night, my tent blew up, and had to run on my tail between my legs back to town, re-gear, and go back in there and i found them right there again and so the next morning i was going to go kill them like it was going to happen and get up the next morning they left that they left that spot and i just spent the next after that i was extremely discouraged i was like as far as well i'm gonna hold out to the bitter end but it's not looking good unless they because they just were not they lost they quit being any kind of predictable and never put themselves in a spot that i could get closer than like two hundred fifty two hundred yards, so yeah, that's yep. what I thought, although i it wasn't much of a streak, I didn't kill one. I passed myself out of killing one in twenty sixteen, okay, but, but yeah, that okay. I should have I could have killed one in there, but i I just was finally the one I ended up going after and didn't get was the one I killed the next year, same ram, okay, so. Yeah, it's I not as much. I hope, I'm, I hope
0: I'm your level someday.
1: Oh, you will, man! It's not rocket science. It's uh, it's not as Rick as uh, Ricky from Trailer Park Boys would say. It's not, it's not rocket appliance.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they're they're pretty tough creatures. I just like it all. I don't know if I'm just a, just love the sheep. I like moose hunting a lot. I think it's not that caribou hunt. That's pretty cool. I mean, caribou they're not they're the only animal I've ever seen that'll run toward you once they know you're there and i just kept bumping all kinds of different little groups to finally get into the one i saw from the airplane i was camped right there and i crossed yeah. this big basin and i woke up and i saw them skyline to the first light but then to get to that one i had to go through and then just sneak between all these other ones you know caribou country there's no cover so i ended yeah. up pretty much by every single caribou the whole basin and they just they don't do what you think they're gonna do, so that's why it's hard to hunt them,
2: you know. Yeah,
0: like yeah. A sheep will run the other way or a moose is gonna run the opposite way, carib will run towards you and then do a complete circle around you and then run the other way and
2: yep. that's
0: the hard part. But I like it all, man. I think they're all cool. Anything I can anything I can get a tag for and I can tell my wife I need at gas for whatever reason I can come up with. Yeah. Uh, I'm going hunt somewhere.
1: Heck yeah, man. No, you guys you guys have been off to a great start and uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll you've already killed way bigger moose and caribou than I've ever killed, so you got that on me. Yeah, we'll have to set something up some soon, hopefully. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I probably better better get off here and uh go make some hot pockets and crawl back in Mom's basement. But uh <laughs> Um Yeah. Uh, but uh yeah, I had to yeah, I'm glad glad you could glad you could phone in or that didn't even make sense because I called you. I'm getting tired or something. It's past my bedtime, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. With you know having five kids in the house, man. But uh, yeah, yeah, man. It's been been great to finally catch up with you on here and uh, just kind of. It's just the icebreaker, man. I know you got a ton of ton more cool stories, and then you'll also have to make it up here to Fairbanks, and and we'll uh, we'll talk some shit together then you're not big on instagram but what's your instagram for for everybody who wants to go see what you're up to
0: uh it's my last name Brenda, grenda g-r-e-n-d-a-89 is my instagram on there and then uh, that's what i do and then we do we film all our own huts that's a youtube channel called stuck in the rut that's kind of where i'm more
2: driven, yeah. i
0: guess and show my hunts on there and uh it's uh it was kind of a dream to make money when my brother-in-law Travis started a while ago and it just kind of it just kind of turned into a portfolio for our hunting and stuff now and it's just cool to relive your hunts I can go back to my first met my wife a big game hunt we ever did and chit and show our kids and yeah it's just cool to do that up, and you don't make any money on youtube or anything it's just it's fun and it it adds a different challenge bringing the video camera on the hunt to get it to get it on film as you, know, it's a whole nother level
1: oh yeah it is it uh yeah, it is. It was a level that I was very glad to not do this year, sheep hunting, to go forego that. But uh, Yeah. No, yeah, that's cool. And, and I mean, it's like an awesome thing is YouTube is guys like you and a lot of people that, you know, whether, I mean, whether it's hunting up here or whitetail hunting or whatever, like there's some, some pretty legit killers out there that, that are no fluff, you know, that aren't, aren't, you know, the Insta famous type people that are just out there having a good time and, and just laying them down left and right and loving every minute of it so it's it's always nice to see but anyway uh if you guys enjoy the program appreciate if you leave a good review on itunes or whatever platform you listen on and uh yeah if you have any comments or questions you can email podcast at com. thanks adam thanks
2: man see ya